We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest baking stories from the Camp Nou. I am Frances Tomas, as same as ESPN, Guardian and Barcelona.com, and I am joined by nobody. I'm joined by nobody because Dan is somewhere in Europe. I know he's been in Barcelona, we'll hear that in a minute. Um, he's somewhere in Europe, maybe Germany, maybe Italy, enjoying his honeymoon, being all happy, being all lovey-lovey, which is lovely. I'm uh, really proud, but you know, I'm by myself. So I am happy for him, but not very impressed. If you are new here, please consider subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, if you're listening to us on an internet browser, go to tvpod.link forward slash sub. That is tvpod.link forward slash sub in order to subscribe to our episodes to make sure you never ever lose another one. If you are feeling the Christmas spirit, as am I, please consider supporting the show by becoming a Patreon at tvpod.link forward slash Patreon. That's tvpod.link forward slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or basically, you can just tap inside your podcasting app right now. Yes, right now, in order to, to follow the link and support the show there. We do love bringing the show every single week. And with your support, you will help us increase the quality and hopefully, soon enough, when, whenever baby lets me, uh, we can increase the quantity back again. Uh, we'll be able to do that with your support. And uh, we really thank you for all of that in advance. I'd like to read um, an iTunes review that our long-term listener, Crystal, from South Africa, left for us on iTunes. It's really brief, but to the point, and we really appreciate it. He said, high quality analysis and content. The hosts have fantastic dynamic. I know, man, but you know, Dan's left me by myself here. And they both bring fresh, insightful commentary to all aspects of the club. And he did give us five stars. Christo, very, very grateful for your support over the weeks and now months. And uh, thank you for your review on iTunes as well. In episode 51 of the Barcelona podcast, we're going to be focusing on a different structure because obviously Dan's not here. So we're going to start with La Gran Pregunta which is what five moves does Barcelona make in January. Then we've got a very, very special feature, uh, which is the honeymoon tourist Dan talking to us from inside the Camp Nou and then from the Camp Nou Museum and basically the whole Camp Nou experience. Um, he took some time away 
from his time with his lovely newly crowned wife. Uh, crowned was put there intentionally. And um, he's got a little feature from us from Barcelona and I really can't wait to share that with you. Then I've had the pleasure earlier on tonight to talk to Lee Roden um, in an interview. He was working in ESPN when I was there as well. And he was the Barcelona correspondent there for several years and we worked together. And uh, I am delighted that to be able to bring that to you so that you can, you can see how, how knowledgeable he is about Barca. And finally, we're going to listen to La Ronda, which is the quickfire listener questions. Really hugely grateful to every single one of you who left a question today. I was sort of begging on Twitter saying, please, I'm by myself, send a lot of questions. And we had an absolute ton. So really grateful. We're going to get there um, very, very soon. Well, at the end of the program. Episode 51 of the Barcelona podcast starts right here. Right, so let's get stuck in. La gran pregunta is, what five moves must Massa make in January in order to move forward and challenge for the treble? Um, I've divided it into five different categories. The first one is undoubtedly the most important, which is offloading Arda Duran. The guy has been useless this season to the point that he hasn't even featured. Of course, you can argue that you know he's been injured and you know the, the manager hasn't trusted him very much, but to be honest, I'm no doctor myself, but I really seriously doubt that he's been injured as many times as he said. Um, there's been a couple of times in which the media, Catalan media, has reported that Arda was about to get the green light and then suddenly he's had another incident. Um, I, I'm, you know, call me accepted, call me, call me a bad person, call me whatever you want, but um, I doubt that he's done unlucky with injuries. Um, I would have thought, and this is my feeling right now and has been for a while, that he's basically protecting himself from a potential injury that could damage his opportunity to join another team in January. My second point may also be a bit controversial. I'm really honestly not trying to be controversial, but um, I do realize that this could be a sensitive subject. For me, keeping Mascherano at the Camp Nou is essential. Of course, and I do get it, there are several players that have been granted uh, the Carta de Libertad, which is basically being allowed to live on a free transfer in several, several times in recent years. I don't agree with that. You know, I, I, I do get that, you know, if you're a La Masia homegrown player, you didn't cost us anything. So I do accept in a way that if you've served for 15 years, um, you may decide to go elsewhere, e.g. Xavi, for example. Um, that Barca don't make any profit on that. I do understand that. But um, in Mascherano's case, he decided and he did say in the summer that he wanted to stay for the season, um, which is why Valverde decided, and I, you know, I don't really think this was right either, but he decided to move forward with just four centre-backs. So you had Piqué and Umtiti, which arguably was clear they were going to be the starters, and I think Mascherano should have seen that as well. Uh, Mascherano, you know, fantastic player that has given a lot of service throughout the years, but obviously been in a way hit by father time um, in a not very kind way, although he can still do the job and, and he's shown that several times when he's played this season. And finally, Thomas Vermalen, which, let's face it, is a question mark in terms of fitness um, and, and, and that's, that's what Valverde decided to do. Fast forward three months and we've got Umtiti having performed excellently 
but now being injured for the next two months, which is really unfortunate because he was becoming and has been throughout the season uh, our best, most reliable, most commanding defender. So I would say that Mascherano has to stay because basically we don't have a reliable replacement. And of course, pretty much everyone in the Catalan media agrees that Jerry Mina has been signed, but the plan is for Jerry Mina to get to the Camp Nou in the summer, not now. And Mascherano was going to have that transition year. Um, and I think that, you know, as unpopular as this may sound, the club need to hold him accountable to his promise and to the contract that he did sign. Um, so whether there is an agreement now to say, right, okay, Javier, if you um, stay with us until the summer, then maybe we let you go on a free. I don't know. I'm, gonna say I'm not behind the scenes as such. Um, but I would say that even if the player is unhappy to stay uh, because of what's coming in the summer, I think Barca for once need to put their foot down and ensure that the player stays because we need him. And that's that. The third move that Barcelona should definitely make in January is attempt the signing of Philippe Coutinho. And please note the note, attempt. Not necessarily complete, but definitely attempt. So you may be wondering, why do you put it in this list? Well, I think Barca need to attempt the signing of Coutinho uh, and for Liverpool to know that they're still interested. Um, maybe Liverpool decide to give a price and to say, actually, if you pay, say, 150 million, you can have the player. Um, but even though I think that that's, that's a huge amount that we shouldn't go to, I think Barca should be seen to be keeping the interest, not necessarily just for Liverpool to see, which is, which is important, but also for Coutinho and his um, entourage, his entorno, uh, to realise and to know that Barca are not going to give up the chase. And uh, even if we weren't successful now in January, you can attempt it again in, in, in the summer, hopefully before the World Cup starts, because, you know, let's say Brazil have a great tournament, which likely, I'm not going to say it's, it's certain, but it is likely that will happen, then we need to be sure that we get a good price and... Um, that's not always going to be a certainty. So attempting the signing of Coutinho should be the third step that Barca should take. In my fourth point, I'm going to move on to what could happen uh, and who should be signed if Coutinho was just not released by Liverpool. And to me, is sign Ozil from Arsenal. Um, as we discussed at length in our previous podcast, Ozil would be a great addition for Barca's attacking third. Um, obviously, he's got the experience, he's got the know-how, um, he's played for Real Madrid before, but, you know, that doesn't bother me one bit because obviously there's been a club in the middle and we're not signing him straight from Madrid. And to be honest, even if we did that, it's always great to sign players from Madrid who can do a job for us. Someone who would be an immediate impact player. Would he be a starter from the beginning? I doubt that he would simply because Iniesta, I think, still has quite a bit to give. Um, as we spoke in our previous podcast, which I strongly recommend you go back and listen if you haven't. I think most of you would have, but uh, if you haven't, it definitely is there. Just tap inside your app um, and in order to access that. I think Ozil would be a great addition simply because he would bring something different to the team that we just simply don't have. And, uh, you know, as much as we want to say that Andre Gomez, um, even Turan, if we weren't able to basically offload him and get rid of him and save money as a result. Um, just don't have. You could argue Denis Suarez is beginning to show glimpses of that, but you know, let's face it, I think we're going to challenge for the treble, which has to be our target every single season. 
I think that we're lacking that degree of creativity uh, that Ozil will bring. So step four, sign Ozil. And this brings us to our final point, which is ensuring a full recovery of Ousmane Dembele. Sure, we did sign him in the summer, and I do get it. He was quite expensive. And of course, a lot of us are very disappointed. I think the vast majority of us are that we've only seen a game and 15 minutes of Dembele at Barca. Now, that is, seems to be about to change. Um, Catalonia Radio reports that within the next week, so basically by the time you hear this podcast, maybe, um, Dembele is going to rejoin the team, not just for um, sort of exercises on the side, but also for rondos, which is the um, circle passing exercise that Barca do all the time. And uh, slowly but surely being fully integrated into what the team needs and, and the team routines. Uh, so I think we need to grant Dembele enough patience and understanding um, in order to enable him to succeed, not necessarily immediately. I think that obviously he needs to make an impact to justify his starting 11 position, which I'm sure he will get based on, based on everything that I just mentioned. So just to sum it up, number one, offload Arda Turan. Number two, keep Mascherano. Number three, attend the signing of Coutinho again. Number four, sign Ozil if Coutinho was not released by Liverpool. And step five, ensure full recovery of Ousmane Dembele. Uh, that closes the La Gran Pregunta. And I am delighted to say that up next, that's pretty cool to say, up next, we've got Dan Hilton, a one and only Dan Hilton from his honeymoon in Barcelona, I believe inside the Camp Nou or maybe somewhere across the, you know, maybe diving off some window, doing something weird and crazy um, with his lovely wife in the Camp Nou, Camp Nou Museum and the whole beautiful, lovely city of Barcelona. Enjoy. Hey, Frances. So since I'm at the match right now, I thought you'd like to hear my two cents on what happened here in this 2-0 victory against Celta de Vigo. It wasn't a packed house since this game is on a Saturday afternoon here in Barcelona, but still there were tons of people in the stands, and I thought the chanting was pretty great, and I can only imagine how many people were here for El Clasico or one of the big matches in the Champions League. Just because, again, on a Saturday afternoon, which is, again, mainly just kids even with the chanting, it was still a fun atmosphere. And speaking of the atmosphere, though, of course, the first goal being Messi, I don't need to tell anybody about that. It's not necessarily just my two cents on the Messi goal, but it's a fact that I just want to kind of rub it in your face that I got to see a Messi goal recently. And I can tell, tell everyone, my children, grandchildren, whoever, forever, that I saw Lionel Messi score a goal. And that's pretty awesome. But the gift that I've also brought with that goal is here's some audio of the chance after the goal. Here we go. So with all the good of the Messi goal, though, there was also the goal that was scored by Luis Suarez and the goal that should have been scored by Luis Suarez, but wasn't because it was called offsides. And now, here in the stadium, nobody could even tell that it was offsides at all. I think, again, obviously, in real time, everyone was cheering as if it was a goal, and then noticing the offside flag late. And the tough thing was Luis Suarez had already turned his back and didn't even see the offside flag until 
it was it was blown dead and so he didn't even celebrate the goal but it was blown and he was upset with it and you know we can see the replay and look back on it but that all really does transpire in real time and I know we've seen plenty of of calls but that official was right where he needed to be and I don't know the whole stadium thought he seemed to be on sides and from my angle he looked on sides too but again that's just the two cents and I know you'll be talking more about the officials and their role and the role they have to play this season so for Barcelona but as you kind of alluded to with the articles Frances and you praised the performance of the team not only against Valencia but against Santa de Vigo they were pressing they were offensive they had ideas they were bright in front of goal and that PK goal if anything it, of course it wasn't a goal because PK missed the net but that was an that was a goal in itself and a good run by PK that just didn't find the result and the same thing with Messi where he just held the ball on the touchline this is now earlier in the game but he held the ball on the touchline and he was so close to getting it in he beat four defenders and just couldn't put it in and those are those moments in the stadium and you really do feel it that sometimes at home with Messi not on screen you don't see it and I kind of at times was just watching him no matter where the ball was on the on the field because the moment he gets it there's this belief and that belief I think is what is really special about not only seeing it live but being a fan of Barcelona you put the ball at his feet and you have that faith that this Argentinian is going to do something with it and that's kind of how the whole team though felt against Celta de Vigo where there are times where you don't feel like they have anything going earlier this year you look in that game against Las Palmas even in, in from the closed door game where it didn't feel like they had any forward thinking or were planning on winning that match but in a game like this they just seem to be pushing and pushing and pressing and pressing and you always had that belief and speaking of the belief Mark andre Ter Stegen will continue to talk about him every week as he continues to wow us he had a really good game almost no blame for me on that first goal and again in live time it just happened so quick where that he was able to to stave out a goal that really probably should have been in if it was a shot that wasn't directly at him but he got a foot down saved it and then the putback was just too much for him to handle so that said other than Mark andre Ter Stegen the one other player that I'd love for you to put in your La Bolsa. Now, I know Paco Alcantara will probably be there. Not to continue to ruin your surprises, Frances, but I know Alcantara will probably be there. Denise Suarez has to be in there. I'll let you talk about why he's going to be in there. But the one thing I want to bring up to you, Frances, for you to think about is we'll talk about later about Denise Suarez if he continues to play the way that he played not only against Celta de Vigo, but has continued to play earlier on the season as well. And for Denise Suarez, I don't know if he's... It's soon to be 24 years old in January. Is he going to be a late bloomer? Is he going to be able to raise his level? Or is his best still to come? Or is this just the kind of player that he's going to be? And I wonder and worry that this is the player that he's going to be. But I still think with more run and more opportunities, Denise Suarez in that midfield has creative ideas. He seems to want to be moving forward, pushing forward with the passing and with the balls forward. And... I, can, I know I keep saying forward here, but that's everything that I keep thinking about when he has the ball at his feet, where even if he makes mistakes, he immediately treks back, and he seems like a guy that is trying to get every bit of his playing time. And so I know that there is better things to come for Denise Suarez. So, Frances, I'll jump out. I guess i got to get out of here. They're closing the stadium. So I'll talk to you in a bit. Hey, Frances, Dan again. So I just want to add a little bit of an addition to what I had said earlier. Denise Suarez... After watching this sporting CP, and no, while I wasn't at the stadium, I did get to watch the match, and Denise Suarez, again, 
awesome. He needs to be in La Bolsa, Frances. Put him in La Bolsa. Denise was really good. Again, leading to that second goal as well was a big part of that. And the last addition I just want to put into this edition of the Barcelona podcast, other than thanking you, Frances, for handling all the long talking and all the blah, blah, blah of the of every episode and handling all the editing and everything you've done for this one. Thanks for that. But the last thing I want to mention, though, is I did do the Camp New experience, which for those unfamiliar with visiting the stadium, is you pay for a ticket and you can either have an audio guide and it walks you through it that way or you don't. You just look at all the trophies and the museum and you go and walk through the stadium and you see all the different things. And so when last week we had made reference to our favorite Barca moments, which obviously were just the ones that we've seen. They weren't the whole history like the museum has of the players in the teens and the 20s and the 50s and the 60s and the 80s, if you will. But Luis pointed out on Twitter that we had missed talking about the Iniesta goal against Chelsea, which I am embarrassed that I missed. And so I would mention to both you and Luis that I hope I made up for it because at the Camp No, I sat in front of these big, gigantic televisions and I watched that goal on replay as they had it playing you can actually choose to to watch that goal and I watched that goal on replay two or three times and so my apologies to Luis for missing it the first time but did I enjoy reliving it time and time again at the Camp Nou really really exciting and so that said I just wanted to also bring up that for those who are able to do the experience that's true but for our so listeners who want to get us talking more about the history of the club, please let us know. Throw some of our questions that way and your listener questions, some of those, not just who are they going to sign in January or will we get Coutinho finally, but if you ever want to ask history about the club and things like that that require us to do any research, I'd be really excited to do that. There's a lot of great stuff at the museum there that even I learned and didn't know about because... Well, it is fun to talk about Messi and even recent history because the club's recent history has written the the greater picture of, of all the winning that FC Barcelona has done. Other than Iniesta, Xavi, Puyo, and the rest that we remember, Barcelona have long had some of the best players of their eras, including Kubala, the Spanish Luis Suarez, Cesar Rodriguez, and Paulino Alcantara. And so there's so many of these great players and a rich history of the club that we support. Uh, and I think it's all fantastic stuff. So if you want to ever give us history questions about the club and want to learn more about the club, about the crest, about the, the start of the club, anything like that, shoot us those questions as well. We'd be love to answer those questions in the listener question, which, again, Frances, thank you for handling today. And I, of course, will be back for next week's show, episode number 52. Well, we, we'll get back to our, our normal situation, but I got to go. It's time to finish up the honeymoon here in Barcelona. So, of course at least on my end, Forza Barca. Okay, so I really do hope that you enjoyed that. Um, I certainly did. I am going to be honest, I'm a little bit jealous of the fact that Dan managed to experience such an incredible experience, uh, for lack of a better word, back in Barcelona. Uh, I am gutted that I couldn't join him. Um, I'm still working here in London. I've got another two more weeks of work until I can be off for a little while. But, um, you know, I didn't necessarily want to crush his honeymoon either. Crushing honeymoons is not something you should do. But, um, Dan, we are delighted that uh, you clearly are enjoying your time. And uh, we can't wait to have you back. But obviously, do enjoy your time as clearly you are doing. Now, up next, which is still very cool to say, up next, we've got my interview with Lee Roden from ESPN. I hope you enjoy it. I certainly did. 
Right, so as we just said, um, we're really pleased to welcome Lee Roden to the Barcelona podcast. Uh, Lee has been working with many media outlets. Um, I obviously know him better from the ESPN days, and um, it is an absolute pleasure to have you in the show. Lee, how are you today? Yeah, it's great, man. It's great to be get the gang back together, the old ESPN guy. <laughs> yeah, it is true. It's like a reunion, although we've never really technically met, have we? No, it's a weird one. I think it must have been at least a year, around about a year, I guess, that we worked together, but always from different places, I guess. It really was, it really was. So, um, obviously, I don't know about you, but I get asked about what is it like to work for ESPN many, many times. I get constant mm-hmm. emails and people asking. Um, I actually have never answered the question in the pod, so I think you're going to go first. Lee, what is it like to work for ESPN? Yeah, I mean, well, the important part, obviously, is that uh, I was a freelancer, so I wasn't like technically employed by them, although um, it was like a long-term contract. But for me, I mean, the really cool thing, and I think the cool thing that they do in comparison to a lot of other people is they, they really put a lot of money into quality journalism about teams outside of just the kind of standard stuff. So, I mean, even like, you know, now it maybe doesn't seem like a difference, but, you know, four years ago, five years ago, to be employing like a, at least a couple of people, even on a freelance, a regular freelance basis, to cover Barcelona in detail, to cover Real Madrid in detail, to cover Atletico Madrid in detail in English. There wasn't really anyone doing that. Most places would have, you know, one person, like said, for example, for The Guardian, doing all of Spanish football, um, you know, and that's the, the thing that really stood out for me. And it felt like, I feel like they give people a lot of freedom to, you know, they kind of, they trust your knowledge and, and they, they let you use that. So it was a real privilege and a pleasure to work with them. Yeah, I, I would I would subscribe to that. Um, that was definitely my feeling. Um, they wanted to add a degree of professionalism and uh, they definitely hit jack with both of us, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, I'll let someone else be the judge of that, work on my case. But no, it was really cool to work with you. It was, uh, it was nice because I think we both have a different tone, so it worked really well. Of course, of course. Now, I know that you've been traveling the world lately and um, mm. I understand that you just came back from Madrid. Yeah, yeah. I was in Madrid last weekend. Actually, it's my first little bit of Spanish football for a while. Because for those that don't know me, which will be most people, obviously, um, I I moved to news journalism. Um, so I used to work a lot in Barcelona and work a lot in Spain, but now I'm uh, working entirely in Sweden. So I kind of I got to the point where I wanted a break from football journalism because I just feel like I felt like at the time I kind of written just about everything I had in me, you know. Um, and so I moved to news, but uh, last weekend I, I went over to Madrid to go to the the Wanda for the first time, which was cool. And I also saw uh, the less glamorous, but still uh, interesting Getafe um, against Valencia. So I saw a couple of games. It was cool. That's good. So um, I'm assuming you've been to the Camp Nou. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, not what is that like? Round, but I used to work at the Camp Nou a lot. Yeah. You used to work there, I didn't know that. Could you tell us more? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I wasn't employed by Barcelona, but as a journalist, really, I think you should be going to games. So what I used to do was I would go and spend like maybe 10 days in Barcelona uh, just working and then come back home to work for like four weeks or so and then go back out for another 10 days, two weeks, and home for four weeks. So I would usually do like two or three games at a time. I would tend to do it when there was Madrid games, when there was uh, Copa del Rey over those uh, Champions League and yeah it's a special place I mean it's nice it's, it's huge but at the same time and the press area is huge as well but at the same time like there's a lot of regular faces so you get to know um, a lot of the journalists you make a lot of friends there and then also you make friends at the club and a lot of the the people in the press department were really good to me actually it threw me a lot of bones and 
uh, were really great with accreditation and things like that. So I only have really good memories there. Uh, and the cool thing for me was as well, like obviously, you know, I was going there just to watch as a spectator before I was a journalist. Um, when I was in, well, I was in Sitges, a place south of Barcelona that you probably know. Um, of course, learning, of course. Yeah, learning Catalan when I was younger and as a teenager. And, you know, my the family I was learning Catalan from had a, they were Barcelona sauces and they, they have the seats and they would take me to games as part of my sort of payment. So going and doing that and then, you know, like a few years later, going and working there regularly was just like a dream come true. And it's, it's a, a palace of football, I would call it. It's just incredible. That's a great way to call it. Yeah, that's a new one for me, but I'll stick with that. So I'm assuming you've been following this season. Um, hopefully mm. that's not too much to assume. Um, no. What are you thinking about Ernesto Valverde so far? Because um, obviously <laughs> we're still unbeaten, but yeah. most people or some people more rather don't really seem that confused and sort like of yeah. born into it. Um, so what is your, what's your right. view on that? Well, first of all, I'll qualify it, right? So um, when I was covering Spanish football, uh, what I prided myself on was detail. And I mean, literally, a Barcelona player couldn't breathe in public without me knowing about it. I, I was on top of everything. So to that standard, there's no doubt I, I, I don't have that same attention to detail now. But I do watch them um, and I follow them. And... Well, there's a few things. The first thing I would say was that I don't think he is in the same bracket as the elite Barca managers, and I don't think that's um, controversial to say that. So if you want to go, you know, Cruyff, Guardiola, he's not there. Uh, and I'm not sure yet that he's in the sort of second tier, which I would say is Rijkaard and Luis Enrique, you know. Um, but equally, you know, we're only almost halfway through the season. Uh, there's time yet, and... In, in general, trophies tend to dictate how we, we think about people. I think a lot of the things about this Barca that I don't like is maybe a strong term, but I would perhaps have concerns about are actually things that, to be honest, have been there for a long time, that were there under Luis Enrique too, that were there under, I mean, it's a bit unfair to judge, but under Tito Villanova when he was um, you know still coaching mm -hmm. uh, full-time. And that is that they don't really consistently control games anymore. And I, I think that's been the case for a long time. And I think, you know, having that incredible forward line maybe papered over that a little bit because they almost didn't need to. But once you remove that, it starts to become apparent again, I think. And I mean, the other thing is, if you'll excuse me, <clears throat> he also evidently is working with a squad that is not as good as previous people have had. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So to be top of the league, to be a, a decent amount of points clear, to comfortably through in the Champions League with a squad that's not as good and with a manager who I think we should have more realistic expectations of, you have to, you know, that's so far as a positive, that's a success. And then maybe we'll reassess already at the end of that too. By, by the way, I, I think this sounds really harsh. I'm, I'm naturally a very cautious person. Um, I think Valverde is a, a good manager. I wasn't convinced when they gave him the job that he... As an exceptional manager, but to be honest, I think he was pretty much the only manager that was available and uh, fit the mold at that period in time. It's, it's not, a, you know, last summer was not a, a particularly vintage time to try and find Barcelona managers. It's hard to think of how many sure bets there were available. So taking all that into account, I think uh, people should be quietly content for the moment. Even if there are things that still need to be done, obviously. Yeah, that, that is our view as well. We've been talking in the podcast over the last, I would say, month now that we need to be realistic with the quality of the squad. As you just mentioned, you know, um, not having Neymar 
literally with three weeks to go before the season actually started was a huge blow and the fact that you know the signing that replaced in Dembele which arguably yeah. you could argue is not at the same level particularly yet because of his, his youth st- starts playing a couple of matches then gets injured and um, he's going to be like a signing when he comes back our understanding is that this coming week and this was confirmed by Catalonia Radio just yesterday um, he's going to start training with the team again. Um, I would assume on the way to the classical, but I would think that we don't necessarily want to rush him into that. Um, I think yeah. the most important thing is that is that he gets better. So obviously we know Dembele is coming back. Is there anyone else you would sign in January? There have been many names thrown around, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, some of the, the names that you see, like the one the one that I guess bandied around a lot is Ursu, for example. Um they don't particularly inspire me. Um, I don't know. I think in general, January signings are a difficult thing to pull off well. There have been some, like, I mean, the obvious example is Davids. He came in and I'm pretty sure it was a winter window, right? Mm-hmm. And really helped turn that season around. But for the most part, they're, they're difficult to get right. So I don't know. So no Coutinho? Is that... Yeah, you know, where does Coutinho play in this Barca team? Are we playing him as a, a wide forward? Is that where he's really going to do his, his best work for Barca? Keeping in mind that Liverpool and Barca play, oh, maybe not as drastically different football these days as it was once, but still quite significantly different football. You know, Barca are not going to be counter-pressing for an entire game. Um, yeah, I think you it's definitely worth considering in the long term, but again, I'm not sure in January he's going to drop in. And Keeping in mind also that Barca are going to have to pay huge money for him. Exactly. You're always going to have the same problem that you'll have with Dembele as well, where he's going to be expected to be some kind of saviour figure and just arrive straight away and you know completely revitalise the team. Exactly. I think that's an error, you know? Yeah, no, I agree, um, I agree. I agree with you. To bang the same drum that I've been banging for ages. And maybe this is just a reality of where Barcelona are going, but sometimes I'm not convinced Barcelona even know where they're going. No. In terms of their planning. But I think for a long time, what they've lacked so sorely is a midfielder who can control a game. And, you know, with Iniesta and his way out and with Xavi long gone there, yeah. Rakitic never really, I mean, I love Rakitic, I think he's a phenomenal player and I think he done a really important job in that treble winning team, but it wasn't the job of controlling a game. And if anything, I actually think he was less of the controlling midfielder in that setup than Danny Alves was, who I think actually took up a lot of the slack in that regard, which sounds a bit weird, but he was playing inside a lot and really touching the ball a lot. But again, it comes back to that, I think that's what they need. They need someone who will just get on the ball and dictate the tempo of a game um, from the midfield, who will slow down things at the right moment, who will keep things ticking over at the right moment. And just, I don't know, do, do they seem genuinely... I Also, by the way, I don't think Coutinho is that player. He's a much more explosive, he's a great footballer. Um, but again, he's not going to play deep and control the midfield for Barca, I don't think. Or if he is, it's going to take a bit of a leap of faith to see that. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think that he's going to be someone that if he came to the Camp Nou, which obviously there are several hundred million euros involved if that yeah. was to happen, um, I don't necessarily see him as someone controlling. I see him as more of an attacking player, either yeah. as a left winger or maybe in Iniesta's position because exactly. obviously um, Valverde has reinvent- reinvented the team. He keeps sort of experimenting with different tweaks and formation and uh, if someone of Coutinho's caliber came he probably would adapt the formation again to suit his needs and, and, and yeah. his skills. But um, I don't necessarily think that he would control the game as such. He's someone much more vertical than that. Well, yeah, exactly. But, but here's the thing. Maybe that's not what Barca want. Maybe, you know, this is just the, the old dramatic of me banging a drum that's not going to happen anymore. But, yeah. Very yeah, true. I think it, Very true. It's, it's, 
it's much more likely that he, he is an Iniesta type figure. And I say Iniesta type because I think comparing anyone to Iniesta is really unfortunate and should be avoided. But in terms of um, what his job in the team would be, I think it'd be much more comparable to him. After that, I mean, who did he go for? I don't know. I, I think it may, even though, again, I think there's a risk of presuming that someone's going to walk in and be Xavi. I think pursuing Verratti made sense. Whether you can get someone like that is difficult. And that's a different question. But I think he's the kind of player that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that, that was a player that um, in our first podcast, we only started the podcast in the summer. Um, yeah. We had a couple of episodes that, you know, they were the most popular episodes we published actually during the um, August window. It was all about Verratti, but um, obviously PSG don't seem to like us very much now. And <laughs> I pretty much doubt they'll give us the, arguably the best midfielder. So um, changing gears a little bit, there mm. was Champions League draw well there will be a Champions League draw happening fairly soon we are recording this on the Thursday evening uh, and we don't really know the rival yet everyone seems to think it's going to be Chelsea um, yeah. Gadget and Radio said there's 44% of possibilities that that's going to be the case but um, yeah. if you had to pick a rival for the next phase would you go for a challenge like Chelsea would be or would you be sort of trying to get either Roma or Besiktas who arguably people say that are the least um, capable teams still left in the competition yeah with I mean I also think without being well to start off I, I think you it's just smart not to want to especially at this time of the year when there's a lot of congestion in the fixtures I think there are very few coaches who would say to you yeah I want to play the, the toughest possible rival at that time uh, no um, at the same time like obviously you need to maintain a certain degree of competitiveness and prepare yourself for the stages after that if you're going to go through I think Roma are probably a decent share actually in the sense that you know it's not going to be a walk in the park no. um, at all but they're relatively familiar for Barcelona and also I think uh, Roma's uh, position and getting out of the group that they got out of maybe doesn't tell the whole truth about how good they were in the sense that I think Atletico really conspired to mess up and I think that when it comes down to Atletico are actually a significantly better team than Roma so, I think, yeah, of the options on the table, that would be the one that I would get. Um, Besiktas, it's a bit of a, a weird trip, and I'm not sure that you, I think you want to avoid those kind of journeys into particularly hostile territory, even if Barca obviously have a lot of exceptionally experienced players in the team. In the current team, they also have some young players that I wouldn't necessarily bet my house on in a sort of particularly challenging environment like that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. That's right. Personally, is what you mentioned. As long as we don't get Atletico Madrid, which obviously seems quite impossible <laughs> because they're no longer there, I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy. Um, so we always ask all of our guests the same question and uh, it's always very telling. So here it goes. Who is your favourite player at Barca and you cannot pick Messi? So who... At Barca present or at Barca of all time? Just now. I, I mean, of okay. all, all time would be a different, very good question. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, currently... Um, I'm drawn towards I mean this is a much easier question now than it would have been a year ago or a few years ago um, but I'm drawn towards two options but one of them I think is too obvious so I, you know what I think I would say PK I think okay. for all that he is a very divisive uh, character for some reason because people seem to not like fun basically you know in the internet age we like to get annoyed at things mm. Um, I think he's absurdly important and he's absurdly important to now three Barca teams um, 
And I, I don't think you can replace him in any of those teams. Um, certainly not with the people who run the books, and then even just signing any player in the world, I'm not sure you can replace them. Um, no, I really like him, and I think I really, I mean, I know he's going through a bit of an odd phase just now, but the thing I like about him the most, I think, is how he really rebounded in that first Luis Enrique season. There was a point when he was, you know, he was looking like he was on his way out of the team. Definitely. Um, I remember it really well, actually. Um, and I think there was, the gauntlet was kind of laid down to him, and he said, well, you know what, no, I'm going to come back, and he came back to a level that was as good as he was at his peak in the Guardiola team. If not better, actually, I think he became a more mature defender, uh, and he didn't have Puyol alongside him. Um, putting PK aside, uh, because I think it's important to, to also look to the future, and I know you've asked me for one, but I'm, I'm just going to cheat a little bit. I think um, Umtiti and Ter Stegen both, if not already, have the potential to go down as some of genuinely great players of the last 20 years of Barca. Um, both, I think, are phenomenal. Yeah, I hope, I hope you're right with that one because certainly they've got a lot of years ahead of them and uh, based on what we've seen this season, they certainly are a couple of players that we should be able to hold on for, for you know, at least the next decade and they've yeah. got a decisive part to play in the future. So that, that is great. So we're about to finish. I want to ask you a, a question at the end, a bit of a surprise question. Okay. Uh, but before that one, what do you think Barca need to improve, if anything, to be able to win the treble? This season, they're not good. I mean, at, at the risk of sounding stupid, I don't think they will win the treble this season. Okay. Um, so what, what what's think, missing? Well, without repeating myself again, to go back, I don't think that they control games well enough. But then at the same time, also, I mean, here's the two. Okay, so to, to go back on what I said before and to qualify again, and in, in my view, you either have to be able to control games um, well enough to to beat pretty much anyone and not suffer too much within reason, or you just have to be so outstandingly good in both areas that that's not a problem. And I don't think in the forward line, this Barca team uh, is outstandingly good enough, messy aside. Um, and, you know, if Suarez hits top form again, that's great, but there's still a third link there that I don't think can paper over the cracks. So um, I think they need, they need some serious attention in the midfield. That's the place where I think they need the most. And it's the place where they've needed the most work, by the way, for about, what, four or five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at fullback as well, um, I think there's a significant step down from where they were a few years ago. Even if I think Jordi Alba actually at times this season has been genuinely outstanding. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's a little bit in the defence to be done and there's a, a little bit in midfield to be done. And then also, <laughs> so actually, yeah. Got that. In three lines of the pitch, including up front, they need a bit of attention to be to be a safe bet, as such as a safe bet can exist for a treble winner. Okay. After that, look, it's football, things can happen. I mean, the other thing is that I would add, I think in general, the level in Spain this year is lower than it's been for a long time. I think across the board, the big teams are playing generally worse than they have for a good few years, and I'm trying to remember the last time it was like this. So I think to win the league this year, to win La Liga, I think it's going to be the case of just who makes the least mistakes. And even if Barca, you know, given up a draw at the weekend or whatever, they haven't lost yet. And I think in general, looking at the table right now, um, without having played amazing football, they're in a very good position. And I think, you know, that that I could see them seeing the league out and winning it without being genuinely outstanding. In the Champions League, it's a cup competition, so a bit of fortune can help you, but there are some really intimidating teams right now. I'll be really interested to see how Manchester City do in the knockout stage. Yeah, I because, think... Uh, yeah. I would, looking pretty good. I would say that Manchester City are 
the favourites in everyone's mouth at the moment. Um, obviously, yeah. the Champions League doesn't restart again until February, so things could change until then. But yeah. they do look very strong. Um, I think that Barca's consistency will hopefully help us develop into a better team. And you know, mm. in three months' time or two and a half months' time, we may be in a far better position. I've yeah. got high hopes of Dembélé. I'm not quite sure who we're going to sign. I would say someone that is, as you mentioned, maybe not necessarily a controller, but an attacking player that can yeah. play, that can sort of run deep from midfield uh, and push forward is a necessity. So um, let's see, let's see where we are. Now, my question at the end this is the last question. Uh, I would assume most of our listeners don't know this, but um, you seem to really like Girona. Yeah, I love Girona. What yeah. was the connection there? Could you tell us? <laughs> it's a really, it's a really lame connection actually. So. I mean, like, so for starters, Girona is like the first place in mainland Spain that I really visited. So, uh, Catalonia, Spain, you know, at mm-hmm. the risk of offending anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, of course. Uh, so, and I have some good memories about that when I was a teenager. But basically, when I when I finished university and I started um, writing on football, uh, I wanted to write in Catalan as well because I'd learned some Catalan and I wanted to do some writing of articles. And I was reading this site at the time called La Jornada Podcast. Mm-hmm. and um, one of the guys who ran it was a massive Girona fan and it just kind of caught my attention and I was like okay cool so you know tell me more about them and, and he kind of started to unravel the uh, the story of the club to me which I thought was fascinating because especially at that time you have to understand and you you will know but our listeners maybe won't Girona were really not a club of note I mean even compared to other Catalan clubs of sort of similar size in the second division they'd never played in the top flight the closest thing they'd even came, and this was before they'd even got to the playoffs, the closest thing they'd ever came to playing the top flight was before the Civil War. Um, and most of the people in the city didn't even support them. They were more interested in basketball or Barca. So there was just something that kind of intrigued me about them. They were like about as big an underdog as you could ever think of. And yeah, it caught my eye, and I kept paying attention to them from there. And then when the the first almost promotion came under Ruby, um, and they played some genuinely outstanding football that season, and it just kind of added more passion to it. And I love the city, I love the club. Well, I maybe don't love some people at the club. It could be a little <laughs> difficult to deal with, shall we say. Technically, I own shares in the club. But I'm still not entirely sure if I do because they've never, even though they took the money, they never uh, <laughs> gave me a certificate. So that's uh, it's another story for another time and not one I'm sure I'm going to get an answer to. <laughs> no, you won't get an answer from me. I'll give you that. Well, yeah, I'm not sure I'll get an answer from anyone, to be honest. But, um, for better or for worse, yeah, I, I have a a soft spot for them and I, I always wanted to do well and I think it's really amazing to see them up this season and even if the weekend was a bit crap to be honest it, it um, really was um, so yeah. are you staying up? yeah yeah no I, I'm, a, I'm really confident to stay up the thing I'm sad about and maybe this is my bravado and foolish optimism is that there was a few weeks there where it was starting to look hey maybe we could actually you know be a real outside shot of a Europa League place even though it's a big ask but oh, they were wow. not far off it uh, and still not far off it but no, I, I think we'll stay up. I think we'll stay up quite comfortably, and then it's about building. Because I mean, there's players on loan here that are, you know, Maffeo. In the case of Maffeo, he's mm-hmm. not going to be there next season. There's no doubt about that. So there's there's going to be some work to do in the summer again. But things are looking good, and I'm optimistic. Yeah, good. And it's a real pleasure to see people turning up at Montalivi and to see the, you know all these new young fans as well, which really makes me excited. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I have never had the pleasure of going to Montalivi in Girona to watch a live game. My my brother was playing for Barcelona when he was little and. He literally just um, retired a couple of months back, actually, oh. and uh, he's played all over the area in terms of Reus, in terms of different places yeah. near Girona and even Lleida and, and that, but I've um, never really been to Girona, so that definitely has to be a place that I will visit soon. 
So um, that's all we've got time for today. I believe we are delighted you took the time um, to be on the pod. Sorry about the many technical problems before no, no, <laughs> we no, got no. online. Um, thank um, you so much for having me on. I hope that it was of some interest. Of course, of course. It was really, really telling as well. Um, if our listeners wanted to follow your work, where can we find it? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's at LeeRoden89. I mostly just post sarcastic things there. So, yeah, that's the best place to find me. And then occasionally I'll link to articles and stuff. But, hey, who wants to read that? Yeah, well, I, I do. I do. <laughs> I, I want to read that. I've been reading all of, all of your um, Girona articles, that's for sure. And uh, yeah. we'll be sharing your work from, from now on on the Barcelona Pod account whenever we see it. So, uh, Lee, once again, thank you very much. Have a great evening. Thanks a lot, man. Good night. Thank you. Superb. So that closes it. Um, as I just said, huge thank you to Lee Roden for giving his time up for us. Um, I really do hope you enjoyed the interview. It was a pleasure to be joined by a former ESPN colleague on the Barcelona podcast. And uh, I really do hope that you found that valuable. Now, we're getting to the end of the show. And this is our favorite part. It's the Ronda, which is the quick fire questions that you've been leaving in the different social media. So let's get started. Warner Ranking 15 asks, why is Paco Alcácer not a substitute of Luis Suárez in league matches? Um, I would have thought that Valverde is looking at his squad. He's assessing what everyone can bring. And I think that he still hasn't lost faith in Luis Suárez. And um, to be honest, I think that is the right thing to do. I do realize there's a lot of hate going on for Luis Suarez lately, but let's face it, I think taking Suarez out of the starting eleven would be would be irresponsible because then you're not giving arguably a second best player the chance to get better while getting playing time. So as frustrating as it can be, and I do realize in terms of offsides, in terms of sometimes looking quite clumsy, um, you know, I understand that he can get frustrated, but I really do think that what he can bring to the team once he's fully recovered, and we've seen early signs of that, it is worth keeping him for. Matthew on Twitter asks, all the talk about January transfer is curious to me. Is it really possible to spend 100 plus million on a player that can't play in Champions League games for the rest of this season? I think that's if referring to Coutinho. I can imagine Barca buying Griezmann or Coutinho if they can play in the Champions League. Um, I think that's a good point. But um, obviously, when you invest a hundred plus million on a player, which you know we've only done once on Dembélé, I think that you're not just looking at the next four six months; you're looking long term. And uh, what I do realize, and I do accept and agree in a way, that buying someone who cannot give you an immediate impact in the most important competition uh, would be would not be very reasonable from just that point. I do think that what the board would be looking at and what possible would be looking at here is that a player that can bring greatness to the team immediately in the competitions he can play and in European competition um, after the summer and going into, into next season. Menyo on Twitter, Menyo Mendoza 5 on Twitter, asks, Denis Suarez is an absolute beast, so much potential. Do you see him developing into the next Andres Iniesta late bloomer? Um, very good question. I think Denis Suarez has glimpses of being a very good player. And uh, in the last week, we have seen that much, much more often. Um, there is clearly some potential in there, as you described. I just want to see him doing that consistently at first team level before we get too carried away. I think anyone being compared to Andres Iniesta is going to lose in the comparison because... Similarly to Xavi and Puyol, I think they're unique players 
that as much as we want to, they're never going to be cloned. But um, obviously having someone who can attack and, and bring something different to the team is, is what the team needs, as, as has been saying today. Um, Denis Suarez may have elements of that, but I think he needs to be given consistent playing time and he's not going to be given that unless he earns it. So I think it's down to the player himself, down to the manager to to provide playing time for, for that to happen. Uh, do I see him to the next Andres Iniesta? Uh, I don't. You know, I, I don't think there's going to be ever another Andres Iniesta. I do see him as a valid player if he can prove himself consistently, not just here and there against uh, third division teams. Mandingo Connor Black on Twitter asks, do you think Suarez's meniscus operation over the winter will be enough to see him return to the form he needs to be in for Barcelona to challenge on all fronts? Um, I'm not sure about the operation happening. Uh, I may have missed it, uh, but I haven't really heard much about that. I do know that he was recovering in the last international break um, so that any operations would be avoided. So I'm not sure if that is actually happening. I'm not, not doubting you for a second, but um, if, if even if that was or wasn't the case, I do see Suarez coming back as the season develops and I am confident and I'm not going to say certain, but I am very optimistic about the fact that he could come back to form. Uh, obviously playing alongside with, uh, Lionel Messi, everything is much, much easier. Dembele would add another dimension to the attack and he would be a perfect ally up front in the final third. And I think the most support that Suarez has got in terms of having great balls provided to him uh, it's going to help him move forward and um, I think with the motivation and as you know as the season does develop I do see him coming back to form and slowly but surely regaining confidence and of course he may not ever go back to 2015 Luis Suarez but I think he could be a very valid player that let's face it we cannot do without because without a world-class striker this season Barca is not really going to go many places so I really do think that our only chance and our only option moving forward is that Luis Suarez comes back to form and that is what I'm hoping for. Great question from Jose Moratalla on Twitter. He says, are FCB Femenis doing very well this season? Who would you sign from them from the USA? And my vote is for Alex Morgan. And he says, saludos. Um, muchas gracias por tu pregunta, Jose. Um, I'm not sure. I think Alex Morgan has been one of the best players in the USA setup for a number of years now. She is one of the players that um, have been getting lots of recognitions around the world uh, in the last few years. So I would say that she would be a really good addition. But then again, I don't really follow uh, FCB Femini as closely as um, I actually want to. It's just because of lack of time. But um, I think that I'm going to throw the question back to you. And... Uh, see whether you can convince Alex Morgan to come on the show and she can tell us all about it. So um, the challenge is back on your court. FCB News official at Twitter asks, with Dembele and Rafinha coming back from injury, is it necessary to dip into the January transfer window? Uh, yes. <laughs> In short, yes it is. Um, I think we need a midfielder who can make an impact from the beginning and I don't see Rafinha being that person, unfortunately. Luis Mazariegos asks, is Ozil a good enough option because of his passing or does he not defend enough? Uh, that's a really valid point. I do think that because of what we explained earlier in the podcast, he is a very um, realistic, great option in order to improve our attack. And the fact that he doesn't defend too much, I don't think it would be a huge problem because the way I foresee him being in the team, he will be in the Iniesta position. And of course, there are elements of defending and we are fully aware that Ozil 
um, is not going to be a Makelele anytime soon. But um, I am sure that with Busquets' support and Rakitic alongside them and, you know, Valverde's guidance, he could improve in that respect. And let's face it, if he did join Barcelona, he, would, he wouldn't come here to defend. So I think it would be maximizing the abilities and skills of everyone around him in order to make him feel comfortable so he can focus on what he does best, which is moving forward. We've got time for one more question, and that is from Juan on Twitter. He says, with the injury to MTT, does our priority in the transfer window shift to a defender? Are there any great and reasonable price options in January? And just thank you. I love the pod. Um, Juan, muchas gracias. Thank you very much for your support and your question. Um, I would say, as we explained earlier, I think that Barca's priority should not be signing anyone this, this transfer window simply because Jerry Mina is going to join us um, almost certainly in the summer. I think the priority is to ensure that Mascherano doesn't leave and um, make sure that he's as happy as reasonably possible uh, with the whole situation and that he continues to be as effective as he has been for us for many seasons. Um, in terms of are there any reasonably priced options, I'm not quite sure. I haven't necessarily researched the market as such. Um, as Lee explained, I don't think there are many great signings that ever happened in January. Uh, it's more of a rarity than, rather than the norm. Right, so that is all that we've got time for today. If I, we didn't get to your question, it's simply because I felt that it was sort of answered in the content of the show. Uh, but anyway, if you didn't get a mention, I'm really sorry that the problem is not any longer but I am delighted to say that you're part of our community and we really hugely appreciate it. Um, in terms of moving forward to, to next time, I think episode 53 will have a certain Dan Hilton back and uh, I can't wait to have him back because, you know, I did miss him today. Um, hopefully the show was something that you enjoyed. Um, give us some feedback, just at the Barcelona pod on Twitter as to what you thought about the episode. And um, yeah, I think we'll see you next time. If you can support us on Patreon, that really would help. Um, as I said, we need to get into the Christmas spirit. I'm not going to sing anything for you just yet. Um, if you all tell me on Twitter to sing, maybe we will consider it next time, particularly when Dan is back. So I'm not going to say Merry Christmas yet, but Merry sort of december Is that a word? And I do hope that you have a fantastic time with your families and your loved ones in the coming week and we'll be back here with another Barcelona podcast next week. Forza! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.